church. We got some exciting things that are happening this summer that I wanna share with you real quick before we dive into our message today. And one of those exciting things is that we are breaking ground at our Gloucester campus on May 29th. So to give you some backstory behind that, the plan has always been to develop a building for Gloucester because of the amount of church growth that has occurred over at that campus and how much the Lord has really blessed the leadership over there. And so we wanted to follow in obedience and build a building for them to continue to grow into. Now that plan was to have it happen during COVID, but of course when COVID struck, we had to put things on halt real quick. And now we are having an opportunity to come together as a church body to go and celebrate our Gloucester campus breaking ground May 29th. So we wanna encourage you guys to come out and see that. Remember, we are one church, multiple locations. So let's continue to support our fellow church body members. Another thing that we have going on is we have free kind advocacy training. You might be wondering, what is that? FreeKind is a local organization dedicated to preventing human trafficking and supporting those who have been exploited. Link arms with them through their advocacy training classes, and you can visit FreeKindBA.org for more information. Another thing that is occurring here is if we have any individuals who are currently serving or would like to serve in our tech and worship production team, we are having a training up at Coastal Yorktown in June. You guys wanna come out and check that out if you wanna be volunteering and serving in those areas. We will also accommodate if you're not able to make it and train you down here as well. Talk with Pastor Hunter to coordinate that. And we are so excited for the opportunities that we get to serve together. Summer camp is right around the corner. Let's go, we're going to Mossheim, Tennessee students. It's gonna be great. LVR is coming and we are having a parent meeting today at 5 p.m. It's gonna happen at the same time as student ministry. So if you are wanting to come and learn about what your students are gonna be learning about, as well as get the early packing list, you are more than welcome to come and attend. Light snacks and refreshments are going to be provided. Now, we are going to be jumping into the continuation of our authentic series. Here at Coastal, our goal is to develop authentic followers of Jesus Christ by connecting together in corporate worship, by growing together in small groups, and then serving in ministry and in mission. And what happened is last Sunday, Pastor Shagree kicked off this series with the beginning of James 1, verses 1 through 4. And so if you guys would join me in turning in your Bibles to James chapter 1, we're going to be in verses 5 through 11 today. And while we were doing that, I just want to recap a few things that Pastor Shagree discussed Pastor's Greed began by kicking off the series talking about the testing of your faith. Verse two says this, count all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Here's why I read the verse that he just preached on last Sunday. It's important to understand the context of scripture. Okay, what we don't do here at Coastal is we don't go through the Bible and just randomly pick out a bunch of Bible verses and say, this sounds really good with this thought, this sounds really good with that thought, and then we make a message from it. That's not how we operate. What we do is we sit through God's word and we look at it contextually and we survey it and we say, okay, in the context of what James is saying here about the testing of our faith, how can we continue that thread? So think of it instead of independent thoughts that we are going to provide, it is a singular thread about what the word of God says. We wanna articulate it and rightly divide it. That is imperative and important to our doctrinal beliefs here at Coastal Church. And so that is why we wanna provide you with the context of what the scripture is saying. So as we read James verses five through 11, we are going to be talking about it under the lens of the testing of your faith. So just keep that in mind as we continue to study this verse is that we're continuing the thought that James has already started. I wanna share a story with you real quick before we jump into reading the verse that we're gonna be studying today. 
there was a man who was named Frank Abengale Jr. I think I'm saying his name right. So this man was a master forger. Okay, he would forge checks. All right, I absolutely love this story. And this is a true story. You're gonna say it's Hollywood and it's scripted. It's not. So this guy was a master forger. And so what he would do decades and decades ago is he would go around and pose as different lawyers, doctors, and even a pilot. And so he would fake all these different vocations. He would know about 10% of it so that way he could get away with it. But then the rest of it, he didn't know. Like for example, I know nothing about being a doctor, okay? Like the only thing I can tell you, if somebody is lying on a bed, like give them 10 cc's of Dimatap, right? If they're bleeding out or something like that, let's go on ahead and uh, put some Neosporin on it. All right, that's, that's the only thing that I know about the medical field. So if you're ever in a medical emergency, please do not come to me. Same thing with being a lawyer. This guy, Frank, he also poses as a lawyer. I know nothing about the law. I mean, I could just say hearsay repeatedly and I think that I could fake it. Oh, that's hearsay, can't do it. I object. Maybe watch a couple episodes of Judge Judy, see if I can fake it that way. And then here's the thing. You definitely don't want me to be a pilot, okay? When I was in Texas, I was parked in a parking garage and I took off the side view mirror of my car because I completely forgot that I was parked right next to a huge cement post. You do not want me trying to take off and or land a plane. So what's so intriguing about Frank's story is that he knew a little bit enough of it to fake it. But eventually his transgressions, we know that to be sin, caught up with him and he couldn't keep faking it anymore until eventually he was caught by the FBI. And what happened, the resolution to Frank's story was, is that the FBI eventually used him to help find out other forgers as well, those individuals who have forged checks. His story was adapted into a novel and his novel was produced into a book in Hollywood and that movie is Catch Me If You Can. And so one of the things that I love about this story about Frank is that he was inauthentic for a temporary time inside of his life and then eventually his authenticity came out of him. He couldn't get away with it. Here today, when we're preaching this message, we're preaching this sermon and this entire sermon series, the goal is not to say, here's all this information, go figure out what to do with it. The goal of this series is to be able to teach you that authenticity is far more valuable than being an inauthentic imposter. Be real, be genuine. This is what the world needs. It doesn't need more individuals who are just posing You can go to Hollywood and go do that. You can go be an actor or an actress. Be real, be genuine in who God made you to be. And that authenticity yields some incredible fruits in your life. And so today, what we're gonna be focusing on specifically is wisdom, wealth, and life. You might say, how do those three things tie into one another underneath the umbrella of the testing of your faith? I wanna show you, and I wanna let God's word just continue to pour out to you. And whether today, if this is a message that just needs to fill your cup, to encourage you, to uplift you, or maybe it's a message that you can pass along to somebody who's going through a trial, my encouragement and my prayer is that you will just continue to abide inside the word of God as we look at James and we say, what does it mean to be an authentic follower of Christ? And what does it mean to be an authentic individual? So here's what James chapter one, verses five through 11 says. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, 
For the one who doubts is like a wave of a sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Father, just thank you so much for your word, for your truths, and how kind you were to be able to give us this message, Father, through your servant, James. And just thank you for the opportunity that we have just to reflect on this wisdom that was inspired by you and be able to dwell in the truths that we can find from it. Lord, we are so excited to be able to study your word and see what it means to observe the testing of the faith, Father God in the context of wisdom, wealth, and life. Thank you for who you are. It's your son's name we pray, amen. All right, let's jump into this thing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. It's pretty straightforward. It's pretty black and white. Now, some of you might be in this room today saying, Aaron, I've asked God. Nothing's happened. I keep asking. I keep asking for wisdom. I keep asking for discernment. I keep asking for all these things and I feel like I'm not being heard. Here's the tension that you have to read this scripture with. When we ask, are we asking out of selfish ambition or are we asking underneath the umbrella of God's sovereign will? Because there is a difference. You see, out of our selfish ambition, what we tend to ask is, God, I need you to provide this wisdom for me. Help me go ahead and win the lottery so that way I can get a million dollars or whatever the Powerball set at this week. Those things may not necessarily be in God's will for your life. So part of asking for wisdom requires a level of humility, being able to humble yourself underneath the authority of God and saying, okay, I wanna submit to the things that you want for my life and I wanna forego the selfish desires that I may have. In other words, that I may be obedient. Again, obedience is involved when coming and asking God for wisdom. So what is inauthentic wisdom? What does that look like? It is the pursuit of philosophical knowledge. That's what inauthentic wisdom is, the pursuit of philosophical knowledge. The dependence and the reliance upon philosophical knowledge can sometimes deter us from our faith being able to be grown. In other words, we rely more on what we think and what we have the capacity to do then we rely on God. So an authentic wisdom, which is our first point, is this, being able to see things with a godly perspective. Now, we will never fully be God. And for those of us who are believers in this room, we are not lowercase g gods, okay? We are servants, we are obedient to the things that God instructs to us. But our goal and our desire to be whenever we experience trials and temptations of various kinds is to be able to take a step back and see things potentially how God would see them. So in other words, I'm suffering for a purpose. The trial that I'm facing is purposeful. It's not without cause. And there are gonna be fruits that can be born from those trials that can radically impact your life and the lives of those around you. Your suffering and your trials can be a testimony. And it can be so healthy for you to walk through them even though they're hard which is why James cries out to us and says, hey, ask for wisdom 
So you might be asking, what is the value of wisdom? How come it's so valuable that James says, just go and ask God for it? Proverbs chapter two, verses one through eight, or sorry, pardon me. Yes, it is Proverbs chapter two, verses one through eight. It should be on the screen for you. I had Psalms bookmarked accidentally. That wisdom literature can sometimes catch you off guard. You know, you go to one book and you say, man, this is really wise, I like this a lot, and it's the wrong book, and then you gotta go and correct yourself. So Proverbs chapter two, verses one through eight says this, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth, come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. So here's a couple things that I wanna point out to you about the value of wisdom according to the Proverbs. Number one, it's this. It is the importance that it begins with the fear of the Lord. Now, here's what I want you to know. The fear of the Lord doesn't mean I need to be terrified of God, okay? What the fear of the Lord means is that I need to observe God with reverent respect, right? This isn't a fear-based relationship. We should fear him because of his almightiness and his authority, but we should not dwell inside of that fear and be terrified. What we should do is we should maintain a posture of, God, you're so big, you're so awesome, you're so great that I wanted to submit underneath your authority. I wanna listen to you. I wanna learn your ways. And then proceeding from that, once you understand the fear of the Lord and you find the knowledge of God inside of it, notice that there's no worldly or philosophical knowledge that is found inside of that. We can use philosophical knowledge as a means to continue to grow and be able to complement the things that we do see from God's word, such as reading commentaries and such as seeing what other individuals have said. But if the commentaries and the wisdom that is found inside this world becomes our Bible, then we're doing it wrong. This is the word of God. It is living and breathing. It's our God's way of communicating truths to us. And so why not sit under the teaching of someone who is way more authentic than we will ever be and allow him to pour into our hearts and allow him to pour into our lives. So that way, if we are lacking this wisdom, we can come before God and ask. And look in verse five, here's what he says back in James, who gives generously to all without reproach. In other words, God doesn't look at you and say, you were dumb for not having wisdom. God doesn't expect you to rediscover gravity, to reinvent the wheel, to go and start a new franchise like McDonald's or something like that. God doesn't want you to do that. He is able to come to you and to give generously to you the things that you need. And he doesn't judge you for not knowing something. It's like this image of a father and a son. Again, if you, have, you guys as parents, you probably told your kid like, hey, like, don't touch the hot stove, don't touch the hot stove. I was the kid that touched the hot stove because I like to challenge things, okay? So I like to ch- touch the hot stove, all right? Until I touched the hot stove, I didn't learn that the stove was hot. But once I started listening to my parents more and more and more, I understood, okay, yeah, this is hot. I should probably listen to their wisdom, right? The first thing, somebody just said amen back there. That was good. All right, so somebody, so... So it's one of those things, guys, where God literally looks at us and says, hey, all you have to do is ask and I will give it to you generously. In other words, there's no price that needs to be bought with God for you to get wisdom. 
You don't have to use your finances. You don't have to use your social, emotional currency to say, okay, God, all right, I did this for you. I served all these hours at the church. I volunteered in all these ministry areas. Now I need you to give me wisdom, right? That's not a relationship. That's a business. And God craves that relationship so desperately with us. But yet time and time again, we neglect that relationship with him. And here's the most beautiful thing about the way verse five concludes. It concludes with a statement and it will be given. Not it might, not it may, not it should, not it would, not it could, but it will be given. Declarative statements like that are so important in scripture. So some of you may be sitting here today, I, can't, I didn't pay attention in any of my English classes or any of my gram, grammatical classes or any of my literary device classes. All right, I would encourage you to go back and get a couple of refreshers in those classes, especially as you're studying the word of God, because the Bible is full of them. And if you understand how the sentences and how the words flow together and all the different literary devices that are used, the scripture continues to come to life in a plethora of ways. And so one of the cool parts that you will see later on in verses seven through eight is when James gives us a simile. And I'll explain that later on, but I get excited about the grammar stuff. I'm a little bit of a geek. All right, verse six says this, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. So James says, verse five, here you go. God's gonna give you faith generously. And then there's a conjunction, junction, what's your function, but right there. Okay, that was a good wink. My English teacher really taught me a lot about grammar. I'm, again, geek, all right? So there's a big but there. Let him ask in faith. What is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, not seen. So let me ask in the substance of things hoped for that I cannot see. There are some things in your life when the testing of your faith occurs where you cannot see the end. All you know is the beginning and the immediate. And that is tough because we are such a tangible people. I like to touch, I like to feel, I like to dance, I like to sing, I like to do all these different things. But at the end of the day, I'm asked to dwell in something that I have hope for and I can't see. That's difficult. And that is the tension with our human flesh. Because you see, when you read this passage of scripture and you see the phrase, with no doubting, what we do is inside of our minds, we say that doubting starts in the mind, but it really starts in the soul. Because here's what you don't understand. It's like a tree and it's fruit. If you try to address the fruit, but not the roots of the issue that caused the fruit to grow, will that fruit still grow back? Yes. Versus if you trace the fruit back to its roots and you say, okay, this is the reason, and this is how this unhealthy fruit or this unhealthy pattern is growing in my life. You uproot the entire tree so that way those fruits don't come back. And so for the tension that we run with this passage of scripture is we say, I doubt sometimes. Well, how does your doubt start? It starts inside of my soul. In other words, I look at God and I say, there's no way that you can do this. Yet he just showed up for us in a huge way in our lives last week, even if it is in a small way. In the short amount of miles that I have on my odometer in life, one of the things that I have observed is that sometimes God will test us in small ways to prepare us for the big things that we're about to walk through. And so if you can't be faithful with little, it's this principle, if you can't be faithful with little, how can I trust you with much? So view the little testings of the faith as trial runs for a big testing that could be coming your way. 
And again, this all goes back to that authentic wisdom of seeing things with a godly perspective. Church, if you try to see things with your own perspective, you're never gonna figure it out. You won't. Your flesh doesn't have the bandwidth. Your mind doesn't have the capacity to figure those things out. That is why it's so important to dwell in the substance of things hoped for and not seen. Because the individual who doubts, this goes back to the simile that I'm really excited about. The individual who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. So what's a simile? A simile is the comparison of two unlike things using the connector phrase such as like or as. So we are not like a wave, but here's what James does. He takes something that is inanimate and something that is animate and says, here's a comparison that everybody's gonna understand. Have you guys ever sat in a boat when the sea is going up and down and up and down? I'm telling you what, man, no amount of like those sea bands that they give you or no amount of like Dramamine. I think you take Dramamine for that. If you don't, I don't know. I'm sorry, I love you. But no amount of those things that you could take can prepare you just for the up and down the movements that you're going to go and experience while you're being tossed around like the sea. What James is trying to do here is he's trying to show this tension and this thing that we wrestle with. The spirit knows what to do. The flesh does what it wants to do. And you as an individual are torn between the two. And so because of that, you're unstable. That's what James is saying. When seasons arise, do not doubt, ask in faith because otherwise your instability is gonna cause you to be unpredictable. And then in unpredictability, you act out of rashness. And out of rashness, you're dumb. It's simple. We do dumb things when we don't know what to do. We step out and try to rely on our own wisdom, the things that we've experienced versus a God who gave us our minds in the first place, who created us, knitted us together while we were still inside of our mother's womb. And yet we still, not, we still have this fight inside of us of like, okay, God, you showed up for me in this little way but man, I don't think that you can do this big thing that's happening in my life. You can. And yet time and time again, when trials, temptations, whatever it may be, these testings of the faith, we paint ourselves as the victim instead of, being, instead of portraying ourselves as being prepared for something great that could be potentially happening in our lives. You cannot have a victim mentality when you're experiencing trials. You can't. Because if you do, it's always gonna be somebody else's fault and it's always gonna be somebody else's problem. Instead of it being, hey, God, thank you for preparing me for something. Thank you for using my life as a testimony to my neighbors, to my friends, to my community. All the hardships that you will face in life, they come with a purpose. That's to the unbeliever in the room. You guys see hardships and then we talk about God and you think, man, how is he kind and loving? But here's the thing, if you don't know Christ, it won't make sense. It won't make sense. Being able to know Christ, being able to dwell in his promises, being able to see how much he loves me that he will willingly submit me to suffering so that way I can use that suffering to be able to glorify his name, that's awesome. But yet to the unbelieving, it doesn't make sense. It's because when we dwell inside of our flesh, when we dwell inside of the things that we do not know, we get frustrated, we get upset, we get downtrodden upon. And at the end of the day, 
God doesn't ask us to have all the answers for our problems. He asks us to be obedient. To obey is better than to sacrifice. So are you being obedient in the testings of your faith? And here's how this section ends. Verse seven, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. God just wants us to have a single mentality. In the midst of trials, in the midst of sufferings, in the testings of our faith, can you trust me? Can you trust God? That's the mentality. The mentality is not to have all the answers. The mentality isn't to say, well, all right, better luck next time. Maybe I'll figure out how to do this testing, suffering thing. It's to be authentic. And by the way, it's okay to say that something is hard. We don't say that enough in the church. It's okay when sufferings break you down to the point where you're crying. It's okay when sufferings get you to the place where you just wanna quit. Inside of your world that we live in today, there's this false expectation that you must present yourself in a light where everything is okay. I'm perfect, I'm good, I got it all together. But if you look at God's word, specifically looking at King David, look at how many times he lamented to God. Look at how many times in the midst of suffering he cried out to him. Look at how many times he cried out in faith. And then look at our world today. We don't teach that that often. That it's okay in the midst of suffering to be able to say, it hurts, I'm tired, I can't carry this alone, and I'm in pain. The reason why I wanted to highlight that is because when you have a godly perspective, you're able to understand and take all those emotions and those feelings and understand, yes, I'm validated to have these emotions, but I understand why I'm having these emotions. And it's for the sake of him and for his glory. Now, here's what I wanna do. These last two sections, I'm gonna go ahead and give you the points now because I know that we're short on time. These next two points are an authentic wealth and authentic life. So I'm gonna combine these two together. So when we read James and we read verses nine through 11 specifically, you have to understand this is it's a continuation of the thread, okay? The same thought process that James is walking through, but it's almost a sub point, okay? So think about it like this. When I'm making an outline for a paper, I have points one, two, three, four. Underneath point two, this is sub point A. So it's still part of the main thread. It still supports the message of testing during the trials that occur but it's another separate thought. And then next week you'll see in verse 12, James goes on ahead and corrects the ship back to his original thread. So I wanna cover this little subthought with you in verses nine through 11. It says this, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Pause, this has to deal with authentic wealth. Let me read that for you one more time. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. How does this make sense? How can somebody who is lowly be able to have the capacity to boast and how is somebody who is rich has the capability to be humiliated? Check this out, this is so cool. I love how James does this. Here's what he's saying. 
an individual who is so low and who's so down to the ground has nothing else to depend on except for God. An individual who is rich and is so high up here that they have all the means and the material possessions of the world relies so much on their hands and what their hands can do and how hard they can work for something that in humiliation they find out, man, I missed it. And they're brought to a same playing field. Notice how one doesn't supersede the other or vice versa. They both get brought up to the same level. And so the temptation with this passage of scripture is to read it and say, well, you know what? I've done really well for myself. I'm rich. I have money. Or I go on the opposite end of the spectrum. I say, I have nothing at all. I'm still paying off college loans, student debt. And they say, how does this work with me? Am I not allowed to get rich or am I not allowed to be poor? Like, what's this deal? Here's what God's saying. If those of you he has blessed with much, remember how he blessed you. It wasn't just your hands. You did put in the time, but God honored you. To those who are lowly right now and who are suffering and who are really struggling to make ends meet, I'm gonna let you know a little secret. God hasn't forgot about you. He hasn't. Even in your poorness, he can use you to proclaim his name. And in your richness, he can bring you back down to reality that it was his name that blessed you to be at that place. And that is authentic wealth, is being able to acknowledge that and realize, man, no matter where I'm at on the spectrum, God sees us like this. God doesn't see this person's rich, therefore I'm gonna love him more. This person has nothing, therefore I'm gonna love him less. It's equal. And that's such a beautiful thing. And that's just so rich, which is why it makes it an authentic wealth. But he's, here's something that's even more wealthy and something that's even more valuable is that in our lives, church, we tend to work for the things that we wanna get. We tend to work so that way we can have money. We tend to work so that way we can have possessions, houses, whatever. I'll let you know a little secret. When you accumulate wealth, that money that you've accumulated has already been spent on something. You ever thought about that? It's either going to your IRA, Roth IRA. It's either going to pay off your debt. It's going into your emergency savings account for that flat tire that's gonna happen. Hopefully none of you have that happen after this. If so, I love you and I'm sorry. It also goes to your mortgage payment, right? It goes to all these different other things. So it's already been spent. So therefore, is it really truly yours? What's so crazy is that we labor for this false security in finances when we have a God who graciously gives us something and purchased something for us that all we have to do is receive. And yet we would rather do all the work to pursue all the finances and yet reject the grace, God giving to us what we don't deserve. And here's that grace. In the beginning, we had this awesome fellowship and communion with God. We were able to walk with God in the cool of the morning. I can't wait for the day when I get to see God and I just get to walk with him. I'm so excited about that. And here's what happened. We were tempted with the desire to be like God and we fell into that temptation. And so because of that, if you read the Bible in its entirety, it is this redemptive love story to where God loved you so much that he sent his one and only son to die on the cross for your sins. And through his death, his burial, and his resurrection, we have the opportunity to choose a relationship with him and get to dwell 
with him eternally. That's wealth. That's richness. That's beauty. And what's so cool is that it's so simple that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that he died on the cross for our sins, that he was buried and rose again, you'll be saved. That's all you have to do. So for the unbeliever in the room who's struggling with this message of the prospect of suffering, I don't expect you to try to figure this message out. I don't. Because if you don't know Christ, you're not gonna get it. And so to the mature believers in the room, this message is to encourage you. So that way you can understand that your life, the suffering, the things that you're gonna walk through could be used as a testimony for the unbeliever. In the midst of my suffering, I'm still able to be joyful. How? Because I love Jesus. That is wealth, the reception of grace. And quickly, our last thing, an authentic life. Verse 10b says this, like a flower of the grass, he will pass away for the sun rises with the scorching heat and withers in the grass. Its flowers fall and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. This type of literature right here is very reminiscent of a passage in Isaiah and it'll pop up on the screen. I won't have time to read it for you though. So I'll let you look at it while I talk. And so one of the things that I wanna encourage you with is this that James, inside of his book, and as, you continue, as we continue to study this throughout the remainder of the summer, one of the things that I wanna encourage you with is that as we observe this, understand that James pulls different parts of wisdom from different areas of what we now have as the Bible, what was the um, Torah, the old covenant, and he takes it and he brings it into new life because here's the cool part. James got to see the fulfillment of the law and the prophets and his half-brother, Jesus Christ. And so he understands that all this wisdom literature is imperative. And all the different things that are contained in scriptures are interconnected. And it's like a beautiful song that we get to read through every single day. And so what does it look like to have an authentic life? It's following the Great Commission. It's to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit with a reminder that he will be with us always, even to the end of the age. That's what an authentic life looks like. An inauthentic life is one where you try to live life to the fullest, where you think you got it all figured out, money, sex, drugs, rock and roll, everything in between, and you do have the pleasures of life that you get to enjoy, but you will never be satisfied or fulfilled. And what's funny is, is that your inauthenticity will eventually tell on you. And so in the pursuit of the vanities of life, you won't be able to maintain an inauthentic lifestyle. Eventually, who you are will come up to the surface. As the band makes their way back up to the stage, I wanna give you a few closing thoughts and some challenges for you today, especially as we continue to walk through the book of James. I would encourage you to boast in your sufferings. I would encourage you to share some of your misfortunes. Specifically, share the things that God is doing in your life. 
not just always the good, but sometimes the bad that can be used for the good. Additionally, I just wanna challenge you to start to see things with a godly perspective. We're in this consumeristic world where all the world wants you to do is just take information, take knowledge, take information, take this philosophical truth, take, 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 take. Have you ever just sat and listened to God? Have you ever just sat and listened and asked for a godly perspective? Have you ever dwelt in the actual wealth that is grace? And the grace that you've received, is that something that you're gonna go share? The churches don't grow because of an amazing message. They don't grow because of an amazing first impressions team. They don't grow because of amazing children's ministry, student ministry, all the different areas of ministry that you can think of. They grow because people take the grace that they've received in their life and they go and they transplant it to other people. And the church is way more than this building. It's you. And if you don't remember that as you continue to go out through the duration of your life, then you're gonna miss it. We are a church as a people where two or three or more gathered in his name, he is what? He is there. And so if he is here with us today, it is taking the various things that we have learned and applying those truths to our lives and then go and live it out and understand that this life is short. So what are you gonna do with the time that you have left? Whether it be much or whether it be little. My challenge would be to develop authentic followers of Jesus Christ. Disciple those who have never been discipled. And here's the thing. This is something that's convicted me radically. A lot of times when we view individuals who are walking through something, we view them as a project. That's the way our world says things. Here's how Jesus views them. He views them as sheep in need of a shepherd. It will change your perspective about how you do ministry, how you do life, how you love people, and how you dwell in the substance of things hoped for and not seen. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to come together and learn more about you. Thank you for your truths, your mercies, and your promises that are new with every morning. We rejoice in abundance of all the things that you've provided for us, Father. And we just ask today, Lord, that we would just take these truths from your word, that we would apply them to our daily lives. Lord, that we would be authentic followers of Jesus Christ, that we would worshipfully come to know you and continue to grow in you. In your son's name we pray, amen.